0: To non-paged area. Error code HTH0042. We hope this helps.
1: One time I had a blue screen that had a really sad message on it. I don't know. I'll have to find it. Because it just like reminisced my life.
0: That's riveting.
1: I know. I do what I can.
0: So welcome to Hope This Helps. We're a tech podcast where we talk about blue screens and riveting stories and all kinds of nonsense my name is steve
1: and i'm tiffany
0: and here's what we hope helps you this time
1: i like this one can hold on i'm just looking at um different blue screens of deaths and i like this one your pc ran into a problem that it couldn't handle and now it needs to restart and it's like that's me every day
0: that's how i start every day right it's a problem that i couldn't handle (laughs) and i need to restart
1: waking up was a problem can i go back to sleep now
0: I wake up and I see just 0XC00FABCD every day.
1: That's pretty accurate.
0: That's why they invented ibuprofen.
1: Yes, yes, that is very, very true. There was one uh, that I had seen one time, and I just keep getting the same ones on the Google machine. But someday when I find it, I will post it because it just was like the funniest thing I had ever seen in a blue screen. And it it kind of felt like Marvin, is it Marvin from Hitchhiker's Guide? Like, it was just so sad.
0: There was one screenshot. I don't know if it was a Photoshop or maybe it was an actual glitch, but it's just it's sort of like a composite or an overexposure of all of those little stupid messages you see when you log into a user profile in Windows 10 for the first time where it says, hi, we're happy you're here. We have some updates for you. Windows 10 is getting better with every update. And... They just merge them all on top of each other into one big incoherent mess, and then below it, it just says, "Don't turn off your PC."
1: That's terrifying. That's That's like scary. Like it has a mind of its own. That that sounds like a great wallpaper. Yeah,
0: but it's like that's basically what Windows is so excited to throw at you every single time you boot your PC up.
1: Yeah, but don't ever turn it off.
0: Don't turn off your PC. Because you'll miss all of this.
1: But like, what are you missing? Just that screen? It's not very descriptive.
0: You're missing plenty of opportunities for marketing and metrics and telemetry. That's what you're and missing. And
1: malware. All of the malware.
0: And experiences. Don't forget the experiences.
1: I don't need any more experiences. Every day is a strange adventure.
0: Every day is a strange, odd, exhilarating and marketable appearance
1: yes we can montani- mont- montanize wow i cannot speak
0: montanize montanizable Is it
1: montanization?
0: Montanization.
1: monetization Monta- i can't say it. i can't i can just like it doesn't my mouth does not make that sound no matter how hard i try montanization
0: yeah we'll go with that
1: all right fine
0: so you know what a phrase I don't want to hear anymore? What's that? It's thank you for your time. It's something we hear in meetings, and it's whether or not you want to hear it or not. Sometimes it's at the beginning, sometimes it's at the end. Thank you for your time. And I'm like, why? It's not like I had a choice. I had to come to this meeting. Thank me for my time. I'm not going to get back.
1: So what would you like to hear then?
0: Thank you for surviving, or thank you for not hanging up. I don't know, something that just makes me come away from the meeting feeling less like I lost something and more like I gained something I get, I suppose I'd like a trophy can we get like teams trophies just like awards for just being in meetings and being in things you have to suffer through I don't know teams trophies let's make it happen
1: yeah let's do it I know they have the where you can be like hey you're awesome type things wow uh what do they call that (laughs) Where you like Positivity? gratitude. Oh, There's like well, the ability to give people gratitude in team.
0: I suppose. Okay, maybe it already exists and I don't you're know not, about it.
1: Well, well, that's a problem then you don't know about it. I'm telling you about it right now.
0: I want gold stars. You I don't guess. want to be
1: told, thank you for your time?
0: No, I don't know. It's just something that bugged me lately. <laughs> thank you for your time should be one of those phrases you don't say anymore.
1: Do you think it's just because it's super repetitive and everyone is saying it? So you're just like, please stop?
0: I suppose. And then it makes me just think about all the other things I could be doing or the other piles of work.
1: That's fair. So one of the things that we recently have been doing is practicing better meeting etiquette. Like, do you need to be in this meeting? Is it something that could possibly be an email?
0: Right. And that is that is stuff that I would wish would happen more. Because yeah, there's there are indeed plenty of meetings that are basically emails or even Teams chats, and the more that that's realized, the better for everybody, really.
1: So you bring up a good point, because thank you for your time is kind of backhanded then, because thank you for your time, but are they really considering your time when they book the meeting?
0: Yes, and it's like, well, I could decline and be the jerk in the room, but no, I guess I'll accept. Or if I'm really feeling edgy that day, I will be tentative. What kind of what kind of accepting status is that? Tentative. It's like not right. accept, not decline. It's like eh, if I feel like it depends on my mood.
1: It's really passive aggressive. <laughs> it's like well, maybe, and it's like if something comes up better, then I'm definitely not coming to yours.
0: I distinctly remember one time I did a tentative accept. And I got like a reply from someone saying, why, why did you accept as tentative in my meeting? I was like, okay, was there a wrong answer to, to this?
1: It's like, oh, I didn't realize this was a special one.
0: Yeah, it was, it was weird. So yeah, tentative is a strange one. I I really like that it exists, but you kind of need to have the right minded people on both sides to be able to use that button otherwise it's gonna get weird
1: well yeah Yeah. like if you get pushed back for using tentative sometimes i just don't respond because i don't want anyone to like question me
0: yeah my my default is usually i will accept but i won't send a response that's usually my favorite way of doing it i don't like accepting and sending a response like and just telegraphing them like yeah i'll be there i'm just like no i'll be there but i'm not gonna just not gonna make a big deal out of it i'm just gonna show up i'll open the door quietly and just be like wind meeting wind
1: i just do the very much so let me hope that they don't notice that i'm not here
0: (laughs) that too yeah try not to make a sound or make any visual indication
1: yep like oh maybe they'll just forget that i was supposed to be in here
0: Actually, that segues perfectly into my other thought, my other shower thought on meetings and things that are ponderings. Yeah. So there should be a mute mic and turn webcam off button in Teams. You know how like they're separated and sometimes you got to click one or the other, but it would be great if there was just a kill switch to, you know, kill both of those. Because sometimes either clicking one or the other, that like fraction of time that you move the mouse or touch the screen to press the other one is just not enough. And it would be nice to just be like, no, I need to seesaw transmission right now for whatever yeah.
1: reason. Yeah, and sometimes, yeah, I often do feel like that too because like a lot of people eat during meetings and stuff and sometimes I'm just like, can you please just click both of them off?
0: Or having some kind of AI detection when I take a bite of a sandwich, it can just turn my webcam off while I do that one specific action, and then turn it back on afterwards.
1: Exactly. I'm not. I'm not huge into mastication.
0: No, it's kind of weird. It is
1: kind of weird. I today just like randomly that has to do with this. I was um, listening to something on YouTube, and they were talking about like this trend where it's like people watching people eat while they do their youtube channels and i didn't realize that was a popular thing
0: yeah i guess among other things on the internet it's not the weirdest thing i've heard of but hey you know i guess it's a you do you thing when it comes to those those folks that enjoy it
1: i just thought it was interesting that it also like helped people too with some of their habits or made them feel less lonely because they could turn it on and like eat with the YouTuber.
0: Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I think they call that a parasocial relationship. I believe. Y-
1: yeah, yeah, something like that. I don't know, but I thought I thought it was interesting. I will say on this note to go back to tech. Power Toys has the ability to do that
0: to create parasocial r- relationships. No, 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 or, no. Or to, or eat to, with somebody.
1: <laughs> to mute. To oh, really? to turn it off and mute. Yeah, they just added that recently.
0: Oh, interesting. So perhaps that's a feature that I didn't even know oh look at That's that a, video it's actually in my installed power toys video conference yeah mute. it's new oh my god this literally read my mind okay the,
1: the, yeah uh but but to your point though it doesn't really solve like the team's part because power toys is like really for power users so do i recommend right. it absolutely but it's definitely more of a power user toy i highly recommend check it out but yeah i saw that and i really thought that i told you about that but
0: yeah i maybe you did maybe i just subconsciously somehow remembered it but didn't because no i came up i came up with this other idea on my own and wow geez yeah i'm reading this i'm like this is literally what i was just talking about so awesome the only difference is that in this it's a um, keyboard shortcut so muting the camera and the microphone simultaneously is windows n in power toys if this feature is enabled Otherwise, Windows Shift A is mute microphone, and Windows Shift O is mute the camera. So that's good to know. Okay, so that does partially exist in the way that I kind of wanted it to exist. Awesome.
1: Yeah, no, it's pretty cool. I saw it recently, and I'm pretty sure it's new, like a newer feature. I, for some reason, was reading the changelog. I don't think I told you about it, because I think I just read it, and I've been like taking a lot of time away from responding and talking during the day, which you've noticed. Um, so I probably so it was like, oh, I have to tell Steve about this. And then I just never did.
0: That makes sense.
1: Yeah. So I'm glad that I could help you.
0: Awesome. We're creating and solving problems all on the same podcast.
1: Yes. Yeah. So keep just like, you know, putting stuff in there and I'll just like be like Dr. Phil and just like have solutions. I don't know how it's like Dr. Phil, but I can pretend.
0: That's fair. Okay. What's next? Um, Microsoft Authenticator Improvements. There are changes coming to Microsoft Authenticator, particularly with the MFA approval process. This was a feature that I sorely missed from the Apple world, in which you get a MFA prompt that says, hey, would you approve or decline this sign-in? But in the Microsoft Authenticator up to this point, there was no detail as to where this sign-in was coming from, or when it was initiated, or perhaps where I'm going with this is, there's a chance that you could be fooled into accepting an MFA prompt that wasn't actually yours, because it could have been possible that someone somewhere else happened to maybe breach the first of the two-factor authentications. They could have breached your password and then forced the prompt. And if you were, say getting many MFA prompts throughout the day, or if you have a policy where you have to re-up every X amount of hours, you might just occasionally or ultimately be conditioned to just press the accept button because you're just like, this, these prompts are annoying. I'm just going to hit accept every time because it doesn't tell me any details. I always assume it's me. But what if it actually wasn't you? What if it was somebody else? Well, Microsoft is finally looking to fix that and make it more like Apple's MFA, where it'll tell you the location of the sign-in, and it will give you enough information up front to make an informed decision as to whether or not you want to accept or decline the MFA confirmation. And I think that's a wonderful addition. I think that should have been there in the first place, but that's beside the point. But it's just good for security, good for sign-in security overall. I've been reading a couple articles lately in which that there's been an uptick in activity where there are more successful password breaches and they are trying to get to the MFA prompts and they know that folks often may just hit accept or decline. So they're trying to exploit that. So the faster Microsoft can get a handle on this, the better for sure. So this will help everybody in the long run.
1: Yeah, that's a good call out because... I never really thought about that when so like for example I have like the passwordless authentication set up and when like the number pops up, I just like mindlessly type in the number.
0: Yeah, and that's precisely the weakness right there because MFA is great until you start getting complacent with it and you just start trying to just get past it in any way possible. And that and an attacker can potentially take advantage of that.
1: Yeah. No, that's a really good point. I'm really glad that you brought that up. Good point.
0: I'll leave an article in the in the show notes. Um, it was from uh, mandiant.com, which uh, kind of blows the lid off that whole concept. And But um, it's relevant nonetheless, and it's a really good, good read, honestly.
1: Okay. I'll have to check it out. Um, that's exciting. Have you had a chance to check out the passwordless authentication?
0: I have not, but I have had some hands-on experience with the Azure AD temporary access pass feature.
1: Ooh. Yeah, no, let's talk about that a little bit because that's fairly new, isn't it?
0: It is brand new. It's actually still in beta. Oh yeah, you know what? Why didn't I That's a good
1: one. That's a really good one to talk about.
0: Okay, we're going to sidebar into this. We're going to talk about some Microsoft Graph, some PowerShell, and some beta features of Azure AD because um, I've been able to actually play with this and get it working and it's actually dead simple. So some improvements to Microsoft Graph and connecting to Microsoft Graph I don't know if this is new or if it's recent, but since the last time I attempted to experiment with Microsoft Graph, things have changed for the better, and it's kind of made me kind of do a 180 on my negativity towards Microsoft Graph, because there is now a Microsoft Graph PowerShell module, and it makes connecting so much easier, because you can just connect by supplying a tenant ID, a, I believe it is a client ID and a certificate thumbprint, or a secret. There's a couple different ways to connect. And if you supply just those IDs, and some of these have to do with app registrations, you can just drop right into Microsoft Graph. It's just a connection as if, you know, in the same way you would connect to like Exchange Online or Microsoft Online, which ultimately I think Microsoft Graph will be replacing in time, or the Azure AD module. But we'll get there. But this is making the attractiveness of Microsoft Graph PowerShell so much nicer because now I can suddenly access a lot of new features in Azure that were locked behind the graph APIs, but are now accessible via these regular PowerShell cmdlets. And connecting is basically a one-liner as opposed to before where you had to like drop like, I don't know, 15, anywhere between like maybe 15 to 50 lines of code with all this get and post and all this HTTP raw kind of stuff just to connect to graph. And the point that Microsoft, I think, understood was that that's not really super accessible to everybody and it's not sustainable because you have to drop that into every script that's going to use Microsoft Graph. It's not the greatest thing in the world. So I'm really happy that they made that advancement and then it can enable you to drop into the graph, and you can also switch into the Microsoft graph beta profile, which can then enable beta features or preview features. Now, of course, Microsoft doesn't encourage using preview or beta features unless they are going to be absolutely confirmed that they're going to be rolling out, because they can change at any time, so obviously don't use this in production, your mileage may vary, blah blah blah, the usual disclaimers. But the Azure AD Temporary Access Pass, that is a really cool feature akin to passwordless login. And it is basically the elevator pitch of it is say you went on vacation and you threw your phone in the ocean. You can't do MFA anymore. Your organization has MFA enabled. What do you do? Well, if you have Azure AD Temporary Access Pass enabled, you can just generate someone a brief one time code in which they can use that to get into their account and perhaps unregister the phone they just oceaned and or set up a different method of MFA. And the temporary access pass will expire or can expire after a set amount of time, which is great. And you have some granularity on the Azure side as to how you want to set that up depending on your organization's needs. But yeah, that's awesome. Temporary access pass is great and it's kind of a great buttress for passwordless auth if i do say so myself
1: no that's yeah i'm really excited with all the stuff that is coming out in regards to like authentication and just like making it a lot more accessible i haven't used that feature yet but i've been looking into a lot of the other Functionality and looking into like the developer SDKs for authenticating, and I'm really like impressed with the stack that Microsoft is providing for developers for just like in general, all like end to end, really.
0: Um, I was impressed by this mostly because it was way easier than I thought it was ever going to be to set up. So hats off to that.
1: Yeah. Um. So recently too, I had to you or connect uh, the Graph API. To a different application and I was really impressed with how simple it was to do so. I will say though that the Microsoft process for the registering the application is such a pain. Why is app registrations and enterprise apps in two different places? And will they just move service principles out of there? Like, come on. It's so confusing to have service principles. Your registers apps and the like enterprise apps it's like all in different places and you have to like navigate to figure out like which one you need and it's just not very clear at all
0: yep absolutely it just it makes no sense and uh, i have no i have no answer to that it's just because Well, of if you're just a
1: regular person or if you're someone who's not you don't know how to like tell a service principal from like an application like why is it just in one list Someday, hopefully, they'll move it. I don't know.
0: I'm sure yeah. they'll move it to the security and compliance center,
1: so like they did with every. And then they'll move <laughs> it back out, and they realize that it doesn't belong in there. <laughs> and then they'll reconfigure everything again.
0: Don't worry, nature will heal.
1: And then they'll put it in Azure somewhere.
0: Yeah, you know, it's just a circle of life, the circle of features that are added and removed as time passes, as we age, as the world turns and revolves around the sun.
1: What? What? Why do I feel like there's a speech coming?
0: There was no speech. I'm sorry.
1: Um, but yeah, so I think that's really, there's a lot you can do with the Graph API. And I think even Azure AD is becoming more robust. It's not just like the boring flat thing it was even a year ago. I'm sorry. Azure yeah. AD is not impressive or was not impressive.
0: Particularly the, the PowerShell method of Azure AD was kind of not great. One day it was in the MSOL Azure PowerShell module, and then it was like Azure AD, and now it's like Graph. So it's like, which of these three ways is it? And I guess Microsoft settled on Graph being the way forward. I guess they're going to be deprecating the Azure AD PowerShell commandlets and other things over time. When, who knows, but I guess that's on the roadmap.
1: Absolutely. So something I am excited about that we're just added to Azure Active Directory, and Most people will probably be like, "Why is this important? And why do you care about this?" They added attributes finally. However, I will say they named them stupidly. They called them security attributes. Yeah, that's how I felt too.
0: Are these for users or groups? No. So inside of Azure,
1: so you are in a hybrid environment, but like in just plain old Azure AD, like you don't have extension attributes. You oh, don't have right, the yeah. ability to like mark stuff and to like assign like certain things to different areas.
0: Right. The field list in Azure AD for a user is far more restricted and narrow than it is in on-premise AD.
1: Exactly. So they just recently released custom security attributes. They're still in preview technically. I just finally gave myself the role the other day and I'm like, Ooh, what do I want to like put in this? Because I totally just want to try it for no reason other than just for my own satisfaction. And so, like, when you're setting it up and stuff, it recommends, you know, if you want to put someone's salary, and I'm like, no, no, I don't want to do that. But I, one of the cool things about it is that, like, as a global admin, you don't automatically get the security attribute role. So it does have to be assigned. You can grant certain people. So if you did for whatever reason make an attribute for salaries, you could just let, for example, HR see what those attributes are. So I think it's just like another way of getting closer and closer to a true I am like an RBAC solution is they're allowing you now to break these things down. So for they have an example, the attribute is set to engineering and the attribute project date. And so like you could assign like projects and stuff like that. So they're really pushing, again, the graph, using the graph. Even when you look at the documentation, it lightly touches on PowerShell, but all of the real modifications that they're pushing for are using graph
0: i just like it when they make commandlets for it though like the microsoft Doc graph no. module yes that's that's great because so it's smart. like best of both worlds because i'm just like i'm i'm happy to use the graph api but if you know i'm not like that deep of a developer i'd rather just have some well-formed commandlets that i can use to get and set just the way powershell was designed for and the more that can happen the more that can be cultivated the better i guess
1: Agreed. Part of it is like I realize that a lot more of what I'm doing does is going to require me to use graph more. And again, I'm not they say now everyone's a developer and that's like the scrum way or whatever. But there's part of me that's like, I can barely get my way around GitHub. Like I don't know like where do I start with graph. And then that's just like me just being hard on myself. But <laughs> at the same time I feel like there's not really like good instructions on where to start with graph api
0: there really isn't
1: and for example like i get it like people who are used to connecting to apis and doing stuff with apis i just need like a beginner's course on connecting to an api (laughs) like how do i do this
0: well case in point with me like i don't even i think i got fed up with like trying to figure out how to connect using you know this stupid block of code that you normally use to connect with the tokens and stuff and i was like is there a microsoft graph commandlet set or module on the PowerShell gallery and I think I just searched Microsoft Graph and lo and behold it existed. It was fairly new and I was like, can I install this? And can I try it out? And then I found an article that kind of demystified it and that was fantastic. And once I had the necessary IDs, I just connected and I was like, oh my God, this is now this is unlocking so much potential that previously was inaccessible because of how stupid and user unfriendly it was to connect a graph. And when you make it this easy, now now you have a product. Now you have something good. Yep. So sometimes it's just the presentation.
1: Like, don't get me wrong. Like, even when I look at the graph API, just how they have it broken down for as far as like updating, removing, I'm like, oh, this totally makes sense. It's like just written in plain text almost. But at the same time, I'm just like, I will spend more time trying to connect to this thing <laughs> than anything. Yep. Same. Um, it's just that's it, the barrier to yeah, entry. Yeah. And then again, like if there's like a developers for dummies or like API- connecting to APIs for dummies, like I need that just because I just, I just don't know. I feel like when I Google it, I get like be a backend developer, be a full. And I'm like, no, I just want to connect to an API. Like <laughs> someone just help me <laughs> help.
0: Yeah, I just want the simple, the Cliff Notes version of this. Yeah,
1: is there like, yeah, or Cliff Notes, yeah. I just need like the abridged version, TLDR. I don't need to read the whole thing because I, w- I will catch on quickly. I just need the like, here are the bullet points because here I'm reading like Microsoft just assumes I know how to do this. And then I just feel really dumb because now they're just like, to do this, just connect to the Graph API. And I'm like, yeah, but I never got to the API part. <laughs> yeah, Microsoft assumes <laughs> <Like, laughs> a lot of things. You had me at Graph, you lost me at API.
0: Right. Yeah, Um, you almost got there and then you did something real stupid. uh, Yeah,
1: and I, I, it's kind of like, I'll take responsibility. Like I could probably look into it more, but Microsoft also keeps just making commandlets so I can continue staying lazy until they decide to actually kill them.
0: Exactly. But
1: that is also probably telling that they, like we're not the only ones who are like, how do I do this? And they're just like, we're not gonna tell you. So we're just going to keep creating commandlets,
0: And then they'll supersede those old commandlets in six months, and then you'll be right back at square one.
1: Yeah. I really think I should just spend time just learning how to connect and use APIs correctly, and my life would be just that much easier.
0: Amen to that.
1: But I probably won't, because that's the reality of my brain. (laughs) It would be nice, however. Um, However. Yeah, so.
0: Speaking of however... I found out recently um, you can install modules as a user in PowerShell 7, but you can't install them as a user in Windows PowerShell. Now, this might be obvious, but this came about as a different issue I ran into recently where we want to load a module as a user just to do like one quick thing, but I found out that Windows PowerShell, it's not so easy, especially if you want to pull from the PS Gallery. Windows PowerShell tends to lean towards it wants admin rights no matter what because it doesn't really know about installing a module to a user directory. It wants to dump it in the global PowerShell modules directory for Windows PowerShell. PowerShell 7, though, is user-aware. And if it doesn't have admin rights or if it's running as a local user context, it can just install into a modules directory in the documents folder. And that is awesome. So that's something to think about.
1: Whoa, that's pretty cool.
0: I mean, there are workarounds for Windows PowerShell. Like if you just downloaded the module on a separate system and just imported the files manually, you could just import the module that way by pointing at the folder. But still, it just makes it easier in PowerShell 7 where you can still just do install-module, pull from the PS gallery, and not require admin rights to do so. And, And everyone's happy. So yay. PowerShell 7 feature. A really tiny but perhaps overlooked feature and improvement compared to PowerShell 5.1.
1: That is a nice improvement for sure. Thank you Microsoft.
0: In case anyone was asking or wondering because I just realized I never even announced this segment. This whole segment I'm calling the PowerShell drunk drawer. It's like junk drawer. Shut up. We're just going to talk about random PowerShell things here.
1: I like that. I like that a lot.
0: I didn't have any better name, and I thought of that off the top of my head, so I'm sticking with it. Drunk drawer, drunk jar, PowerShell, Dr- drunk jar, drawer. drunk jar. Welcome to the drunk jar. Anyways, next thing in the junk drawer, PowerShell crescendo. Yet another. This is a hot off the presses new feature from Microsoft, announced at some ign- w- one of the ignites. I wanna say it is just reaching release candidate. I think. Actually, I could be totally wrong on that. It is basically very close to release. I won't say what release candidate or beta it's in right now. But it's an interesting little feature where you can wrap native non-PowerShell commands in JSON to make them native PowerShell commands, which is an interesting concept. But when you start kind of reading about it, I kind of end up just going, ew, JSON, because JSON. (laughs) I don't know.
1: Don't pick on JSON, JSON json
0: do you like json json Uh, JSON? again
1: it goes back to like (laughs) my avoiding apis i'm just gonna like leave that rant right there yes (laughs) yeah
0: and that's my problem like i'm good at powershell scripting like get this crap out of here i enjoy powershell i enjoy using csvs or text files But if you're going to start gunking up the waters with like JSON or like perhaps YAML or any of this other stuff with PowerShell natively, or just like have it be an expectation that you have to learn this, that's when I'm kind of like, ugh, like it makes it a little less attractive. And I think that's where we're at with PowerShell Crescendo, because I'm looking at the example code where you take the simplest one, it's like the Unix slash bin slash ls command. And you take that and you put it in a JSON block. You include the the verb, the noun, original name, parameters, and you make it so you turn it into a proxy function called get-file list. And that's the general idea. But we kind of already had this feature in PowerShell. It was I was going to say,
1: didn't this already exist?
0: Yeah, it was called advanced functions. And our pal Ted Seducus taught us how to do it, or at least taught me how to do it. I um, love Ted. It, Ted's great.
1: Ted.
0: All hail Ted.
1: I wonder if this is one of those things, though, if that was just like a very unknown, because there were so many like unknown things that Ted taught us.
0: I, I'm going to say this might be a more publicized version or maybe like a reboot of that thing that Ted taught us, because the way I usually try to write functions for things that don't have functions is... In which I was writing wrappers around things, which hey, that's apparently the point of power. That's Show it. That's exactly
1: what this is, and that's what like yeah. we were taught in that thing.
0: Right. This is sort of like the McDonald's version of that, I guess.
1: I almost wonder too if like there's just more support for like more things, or maybe it, it's just a rebranded version of advanced functions.
0: I want to say I think this is probably just a more cross-platform, more universal way of elaborating on advanced functions or making it more approachable. I guess it has its place or it might make more sense in the long run when it kind of really goes GA or becomes more widespread. But to me just at the outset I'm like, well, I'm really comfortable with advanced functions and I have used advanced functions to t- say take like the um disk quota assemblies or however you do that via non-powershell commands. And wrap that inside an advanced function to make it PowerShell compatible, which is awesome. But it's like, could I do that in Crescendo as well? I don't know. It would be a cool experiment to see if you could duplicate an advanced function wrapper inside PowerShell Crescendo.
1: That is actually a really cool idea. Because then it almost like begs the question of, oh, can I make those Graph API? If I have a Graph API, I don't know what to call it, code? I don't know, JSON? <laughs> json haha. <laughs> can i put that in a wrapper and then so when i update that i can just like create the function based off of that so like say i just update it because i need to change like the security attribute from engineering to data if i just change that one thing to data and then i just run the function again i mean it's probably not a necessary way to do that but i was just thinking
0: that is definitely a possibility
1: it, it just makes it more user-friendly then so if like I'm a developer. I'd say that in air quotes, I can like effectively, um, I'm going to use like the buzzword shift left and stuff because now I can hand this off and I can like easily manage. I can make small changes or I can hand it off and whoever needs to run it can run it.
0: Yeah. And that's sort of the magic of that. Yeah. You can do the whole shift left mentality because you made it really simple for someone. You say, no, just Run this one, one liner thing, which used to be thir- 3,000 lines. And look at that, it's accessible. It's just like how the new method of connecting to the Graph API is with the one liner commandlets. You know, it just makes things easier.
1: Exactly. That kind of helps. It almost seems like it helps solve the, well, I'm not a developer, but if you have developers who are building out their tools, they can then put it in a wrapper, or you could put it in a wrapper, and then now it the code doesn't really matter to you anymore. It's not scary.
0: Yeah, and that's how a lot of PowerShell functions came to be. They were just like really gross .NET assemblies or something that just got wrapped into cool, nice, friendly, approachable functions.
1: Yes. So on that too, the new PowerShell get beta came out today too. In that, they added more functionality for wildcards. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So what
0: was not in it before that's in it now?
1: so they added more like cert ability to like do searching with wildcards. i don't know if you've ever run into this i run into it all the time where like some things just like don't work for wild cards I, I it doesn't look like it's going to work for everything but like there's wild card support for find ps resource now which probably isn't like super exciting and again like this looks like it's more like diving into like the developer world like find ps resource package existing in multiple repos it definitely sounds like it's catering more towards the developers side
0: or just making it generally more usable when for searching for stuff too that's also helpful
1: yep more cross-platform more ability for it's not just and this is a hard transition for sure is that everything is like becoming more everyone's a developer mentality
0: that's the flavor of the week i guess yes Developers, developers, developers. Remember, always have a fork and knife equipped with you at all times, so you can tell people.
1: Yes, all the, all of that good yes. stuff.
0: <laughs> we'll drop a link in the show notes if you want to know what we're talking about.
1: Because I don't even think we know what we're talking about. We might. No, I understand uh, the concept of it. Yes. I just, I just haven't accepted the reality of the current state of technology.
0: No. Speaking of not understanding things and the current state of technology. So in PowerShell 7, <laughs> there is a compatibility mode in which you can import a module and you can use a switch called use Windows PowerShell.
1: Wait, wait, that's a fit? Th- wait, why? It Isn't that is what because, you're
0: doing? It, well, Windows PowerShell, again, is the older version of PowerShell, older than oh, 7. There okay. are modules for whatever reason that may not work with PowerShell 7. Most do now, but for those, the few that don't, this import module with the switch of use Windows PowerShell exists and is super helpful for obvious compatibility reasons. But I found it can also be a little buggy. And it's not really clear on whether or not it will actually be fixed because it's kind of like a low low reward at a high risk kind of level of work for the development team. I asked on GitHub, I was like, so if I go to set a global variable when I've imported a PowerShell module and I run a function that sets a global variable from this imported module in the compatibility mode, the global variables do not stick when I call the function. So the question remains, is this expected behavior, is this by design, or is this a bug? And the answer I got back was, well, kind of by design, kind of expected, and kind of a bug. Basically, they said they could probably make the behavior better, but in all reality, you should really just try to avoid using the use Windows PowerShell switch unless you absolutely have to, and try to just default to PowerShell 7 if you can. Because things like global variables just don't do a great job at surviving the trip. Because if I recall correctly, when you import a module using use Windows PowerShell, I think it actually does a tunneling session or a PS session. And when that happens, things can get a little weird when it comes to Mm -hmm. saving variables to RAM and stuff like that. Odd containerization problems or just weirdness.
1: Yeah, and it also slows things down a lot. Because of like it uses up a lot of memory.
0: Yep, exactly. So who knows? But that was the answer I got. I'm happy I got an answer. At least someone kind of did know. They did understand the question that I asked. It was funny. When I asked this question, I actually wrote a full function out just to ask this question and try to make the issue I was presenting coherent. And luckily, someone got it. What was his name? His name was Vex32. I'm like, thank you, Vex32. You're awesome. For answering my question.
1: So, in like on that, what is a good way to get around using a global variable then?
0: Well, you can continue to use global variables if you import the module using oh, okay. native PowerShell 7. Just don't use the dash use Windows PowerShell switch that I went out of my way to use. I'm trying to remember why I was even using it in the first place. I do remember I did need to use it not so long ago, but oddly enough, when I revisited it and I re imported the module, without that switch things seemed to all work and i didn't get the errors i used to get so maybe powershell advanced in a way that they fixed whatever problem that existed back in the day and i never wrote down what problem that was i just remember noting that i had to use that compatibility mode but either i fixed my code or they fixed their code something happened in that way
1: definitely seems that way
0: yeah for sure so that that was cool that's a cool little bug This one is not so much a bug, it's more of a tip. It's, you ever need to make 300 test accounts and need an easy way to do it? This is something that's always existed in PowerShell, but it's something that probably folks maybe forget about. It's expressing 1 to 300 in an array with just a few short characters. And it's literally 1 dot dot 300 that will create a iteration of 1 to 300 on the fly. And then you can pipe that right into a for each object and you can do things with it. And there you go. It's awesome.
1: That's really cool.
0: Yeah. It's literally 1 dot dot 300 pipe percent open squiggly bracket dollar under and squiggly bracket. Look at that. I could even verbally describe it to you.
1: Yeah. No, that's a really cool feature.
0: It is a super cool feature. It saved me very recently. And I was like, yeah, I always forget this is a thing. I knew it in the back of my mind, but I was like, How can I do this in the least amount of characters, the least amount of lines of code? And this was by far the simplest way of doing it.
1: Mm, That's awesome. I love it.
0: And lastly, always make your functions return PS objects containing data. It's better for you, the environment, and your pets.
1: I'm pretty sure your cat would not care either way.
0: My cat would really care if I was returning a Boolean versus a ps object containing not only the boolean but perhaps a message explaining what the current status was or maybe a success or failure flag or any other supplemental information i think my cat would care a lot about that tiff
1: i just i just think that your cat really just wants to sit in your lap all the time that too yeah so why uh, do i know yeah i mean so why would you assume that your cat like that pet? are affected by this?
0: I don't know. I assume a lot of things. I
1: I know. It's fine. I'm I'm over it. I'm just overthinking about your cat. It's okay. But
0: what we shouldn't overthink is how we return data when we write advanced functions. And often my favorite way of returning data is doing the custom PS object because then you can just load it up with your own custom columns and rows. And then you're not like writing yourself into a corner where if down the road you want to amend your function to return more information, but not break compatibility with prior versions of the function. And instead you can just add extra columns or more, be more verbose or change the messages as needed. And it's just nice to do it that way. So if you're going to write advanced functions, try to always do it that way. Make returnable data fun to work with.
1: Is returnable data fun to work with? No, it is. That's the whole point of all of this. Wah-ha-ha-ha.
0: If it's compatible without grid view, it is fun to work with. That is my benchmark.
1: Yeah. That's great.
0: Indeed. Wow.
1: This is fantastic. I uh I've learned a lot today.
0: I have too, I suppose.
1: You suppose? Well you learned now that you can mute and shut your video off at the same time.
0: Right? Yeah, look at all this stuff I'm supposedly learning. No, I am learning it.
1: but (laughs) I blew your mind today. Indeed. That's all I could do for today.
0: Alrighty, so we'll call this here. We'll do our little outro thingy. Yeah, we had a nice little focused podcast tonight on PowerShell and various MFA things and buttons for muting things and all of that fun stuff. This has been a real productive Hope This Helps episode, I guess. It
1: really has been. um, I'm quite proud of us, really.
0: We went quality over quantity tonight. We
1: did. We did. We had some really thoughtful discussions. I I feel good about this.
0: Oh, man. So I think we should leave with some parting words. We'll call this a sponsor at the end of the episode, and we call it the rewind button. Be sure to rewind this podcast when you're done listening to it, so the next person doesn't have to.
1: Yes like and subscribe as well please and
0: also like and subscribe to hope this helps on places hthpc.com is a good place to go to find where we have our places and the yes. names of things on places we do have a twitter we have a twitch all that stuff and we're on the podcast everything's we're here we record on the most infrequent of schedules but dang it we do record it's like a surprise we, get, we get it done.
1: You just don't know when it's gonna come.
0: I'm kind of happier when we just record by surprise. It's just like, hey, we're here. Get yeah, sit I, down. I mean,
1: it feels less, I think before I had like all this burnout, it was more fun. And now I'm just like burnt out on tech because I sit in a room at a computer all day and I'm not like interacting as much. I think if I was like out and about more, I'd be like, yeah, let's do this consistently. Um, and I am all about that. But I, again, like we both have lives and we're both like starting to like funnel in and out and so i i kind of like the surprise ones i think we've become more quality even if we're not totally like going after the followers or whatever they call them users community people i don't know
0: the the people that aren't us
1: yes but if you do listen thank you
0: yeah no if you do listen thanks a lot you're awesome thanks for putting up with us i guess
1: right your listening does not actually like Give us any, mm, I can't say it, montanization.
0: Montanization. Montanero, <laughs> call me by your name. That's a Nas X song, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Sh- leave me alone.
0: <laughs> Fun fact I named my Nas Little NASX. I so. love that. I think it's pronounced Nas, but I say Nas. I
1: love it. I think you need to make a partition called Montanero now.
0: I could. I could just add a new SMB share and yeah. just call it Montanero. <laughs>
1: Oh, yes. Or
0: Montero. Mon- oh, my God. We're Montero. bad at, pronun- we're, we're bad at <laughs> pronunciating things.
1: You're not. I am. I can't. I can't talk. Uh, I just can't speak in words.
0: All right. Well, I guess before we entirely lose the ability to speak, I think maybe we should call it here. And we'll, I guess we'll see you all at the next episode. I hope this helps. Yes. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye. We hope this helps. Bye.